A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. And welcome to Security and Security, a podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. My guest this week was on episode three of Security and Security back in March 2019, where he discussed his first book, Damaged, based on being brought up in the care system the abuse he suffered and the grief he had when he lost his dad aged 11. He wanted to call the chapter at that time, a year before the pandemic, serendipity. He returns this week to Kinyanska to talk about his new book, The State of It, looking at being a care worker and some of the young adults he has since looked after who have fallen into the care system. I'm delighted to welcome back to Kinyanska someone who really is an inspiration, someone who really just goes that extra step for every single person he meets and no matter what he's faced in his own life, he wants to make the world a better place. Please welcome Skinny Sker, Chris Wild. Hello, Chris. Hi, Johnny. Thank you very much for having me back. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you as always. Well, you're, you know how much your book Damage touched me. And that everyone can hear in episode three, as I said, of Skinny Sker. And that is kind of part one of your story. That is what happened in the past and then we move to the present and you are a care worker and you brought out this new book the state of it so in the middle of those years uh since being on skilling school what's happened to you since obviously we've had the pandemic which we'll come to later on but where have you been in the care system yeah it's it's been surreal um and really kind of uh, overwhelming since the release of damage what damage did is it was the first I would say, first book of that genre to kind of really put the care sector uh, in the public public's eye. And, you know, my life has just spiraled out of control. It's given me a platform. But what's the benefits of having that platform has been as they enabled me to do is to work with young people, to work with government officials and, and really put the care sector on the map and get that kind of support these young people deserve. So I've been busy through all lockdown, working with young people on the front line, visiting young people, uh, working with government officials. Uh, I was selected um, a panel member for the care review. So I'm actually on the experts by experience board with, uh, with Josh McAllister. So I've been really busy, Johnny. 
It's so good to see that, though, because you really do can. Obviously, people have seen you on Newsnight, and we've seen, obviously, lots of interviews that you've done over the past couple of years. But you've not just done this to become a celebrity. It's because you care, and it's because you're using your platform for the good, especially during the pandemic, where you're using your platform to actually spread awareness that there are people going hungry and actually you need to go and help them. I really, without sounding kind of too blasey about it, I just really don't care about the platform in regards to who I am in the a, in a media kind of, you know, genre. My only objective is to go out there and make a difference to young people's lives. I want to spend the rest of my life until the day I die making sure that people who care are treated like human beings, they're treated as children, and they're given the same opportunities as their peers and yeah it's great that people like yourself johnny have given me that platform to enable me to get that message across and i wouldn't use it for anything else it's so important and you know i'm, I'm very grateful but i've had that opportunity and you know my work has only just started and i you know things are progressing and i know in time if i keep campaigning if i keep being vocal about my work that i will get that change and you've come full circle. As I said, you grew up in the care system. And so you're now giving back, making a difference to who you're now seeing. And your book goes through all these different types of people that you've met in the care system. Do you want to give an example of someone that really stood out for you? Just so the listener can get an insight into the types of people that you're looking after. Because a lot of the time, especially for myself... When I thought of the care system, the only way I could relate to it was Tracy Beaker. And it was a great program on CBBC that opened up the care system to children watching it. But obviously, those children in Tracy Beaker weren't psychologically as damaged, as deprived, as actually what we see in real life. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Every time you watch anything about the care sector, especially Tracy Beaker is a great example, it's very sugar-coated. And, and obviously that's a programme for young kids, but in reality it's, it's far from you know, any TV programme. I meet people every day coming to this care sector from all walks of life. I meet people who come into care at 16 because their families can't afford to look after them anymore, they end up homeless, living on the streets. Then you come into my care, and we've somehow got to rebuild that confidence and that trust in that young person and make sure they don't fall off the radar. And what do you say fall off the radar? You can imagine being 16, no family, no friends, no support, no money. You're easy pickings for criminal organizations, county lines, sexual predators, who will, you know, kind of use that vulnerability to groom these young people into all kinds of iniquities. I see people coming from Eritrea who set off from... Eritrea at 13 years old, in hope of a better life. They cross the Sudan, they cross the Sahara, they get, they get incarcerated and, and captured in certain countries and they, they suffer all kinds of traumas. I mean, I mean, talking about nightmares here, we're talking about rape, abuse, torture on the darkest level. But these young people are still motivated to keep going, to find you know, hope and cross the channel, come into England, they end up in the care sector, and, you know, it's, it's my responsibility, it's our responsibility as a nation to make sure that these young people get the best support. And this always hurts me, always bothers me and upsets me that, uh, you know, there's certain people in our country who think that these young people just come here to, you know, to use the country, to, to get money and, and abuse. It's far from, from that in reality. They're desperate just to survive. You know, these are just some of the kind of young people I come across. And then we get young people who are from England who come into the care sector because their moms and dads are murdered or, 
or they their parents die from drug overdoses and they've got no family, they've got no support, they come into the care sector. And instead of nurturing this young person and looking after them, the sector can abuse it. It's called social neglect, where they're just abandoned, they're put into some random house, and you know they're surrounded by lots of dangers. And you know the inevitable happens that these young people end up getting abused, and a lot of them go missing. And that's why it's so important for people like me to do what I do to stop this from happening, to, you know, to highlight the urgency of making sure that these young people get the chance to live a good life. Well, that's the thing, that you want to give them a good life. And actually, the most important thing is give them a second chance. doesn't matter what they've done. Yeah. doesn't matter if they've been <clears throat> in prison. You are there to give them that second chance. And a lot of people wouldn't do that. No, no. And, and, and the thing is, as well, is there's so much stigma attached to care home kids. You know, you just mention it subconsciously. People start thinking about all of a twist and stuff like that, that these people are going to rob you, their scum, their broken toys. And I've met so many amazing people over the last few years, entrepreneurs, these young people could be the next, uh, you know, prime ministers, they could be top lawyers, they could be doctors, but they don't get the opportunity, Johnny. And that's, that's what it's about as well, not just giving them a second chance, it's trying to give them some kind of uh, focus in life, giving them the opportunities so they can also have, you know, these great careers and great lives like people in, you know, normal society get the chance to do. Well, exactly that, my friend, exactly that. And I think this is the thing, and a great example, actually, is Ifaz, who I want to talk about. And Ifaz, when uh, in your book you speak about yeah. his story, he was someone that fell through the cracks and there just wasn't enough you could do to stop yeah. him getting into trouble. And normally you take these people in... And they listen to you. It's very hard work, and it, it, it takes the process to get there. But they listen to you, and then they do get that help they need. But some people are just past having that help, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, you can't save them all, and and that's one of the things you've got to come to terms with when you get to this kind of work is that you cannot save them all. And I'm a passionate person. You know, I I try my best to do what I can when I can. Some people are so traumatized from their past. For instance, if I who'd, who'd experienced all that kind of trauma from his, his home country, different kinds of trauma what normal people will experience. They've come here and they're desensitized. They've become impervious to the, you know, to, to the lifestyle and, and, and policies and procedures that we have in place to keep people safe. And those are the, the ones you can't see. But what you can do, Johnny, and this is important to mention this, is that you don't write them off. Even if I spend at least 12 months with somebody and I just plant that little seed, for instance, if I was, you know, it got to the stage where, you know, I got him knocking on the door before he walked in my office. I got him saying, please and thank you. I got him washing his own dishes. These might be trivial to me and you, but to him, that's massive. And from that, it grows and grows and grows. You know, it, it, the boy couldn't read. We got him reading. We got him doing, you know, going online. stuff like, like Again, so trivial, but so important on a bigger scale. Um, but unfortunately, you know, his his mindset and his past experience dominated his future. And those are the ones you can't save, unfortunately. Well, there's also that problem that prison isn't an answer. And a lot of the time, it's let's just put them in prison. It's actually, it's the retribution and actually finding out what the trigger is at the beginning as to why they've acted out the way they have. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as the saying goes, prevention is cheaper than cure. And it's all about early intervention. If you go into any jail setting now, both man and woman, uh, you know, I think there's a percentage of something like 70% of inmates would have spent some time in the care sector. That's huge. That's massive. And that just shows you uh, the mass failing and negligence when it comes to prevention. 
And, you know, the government are, are quick to jump on the fact that, you know, that these young people, um, you know, it's a waste of money to invest in these young people, but it's absolutely ridiculous. And in the long run, for instance, I'll give you an example, you know, it costs £225,000 a year for one young person between 16 and 25 to be imprisoned inside Pentonville. That's one person, £225,000. Now, if they invested even a quarter of that in, into that young person's life from the beginning, they would have saved a fortune in the end because they wouldn't end up in jail. Well, this is the thing. And, you know, we're always talking about how we're overpopulated in jails and there's not enough room and the money that's being spent on them. But actually, is it worthwhile putting someone in prison for a small time crime when we know there's a trigger and they've acted out because they are angry at society and angry at themselves rather than being they've actually harmed another person? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, so, so, I mean, some of the time it's just an easy option to send these people to jail and it's it's really not an option at all. You know, there, there is other forms of rehabilitation. I'll give you an example. I was working with a young person who was very vulnerable and he'd been, <clears throat> he'd been abused and threatened to hold drugs in his room. The police raided the room. He was arrested with all these drugs and paraphernalia and weapons and he ended up going to jail for six years now. You tell me, is he the victim? He's the victim. And, you know, he's not the criminal there. But unfortunately, in the eyes of the law, they don't see it like that. And when you stand up in court and try and explain that to the judge, they don't see it on the same level as you because there's still that huge dichotomy between public service and and young people in the care sector. Again, they're just written off regardless of who they are or where they come from. And this is the problem. And it's not going to necessarily change because it isn't just a mindset. It's an attitude as well. And... We're so traditional with the police system, with being institutionalised, that the care system needs more focus. And especially during the pandemic, where we go through something where everything is stripped away. And it's interesting because in your book, you talk about that first time we were told to wash our hands twice to the sound of happy birthday. And we're told to stay at home and all these words that suddenly came out of nowhere. That was one thing. And that's what, you know, the normal person was thinking about. But then you get to the care system and everything is just dropped. Because remember, no one's going out. So there's no social workers yeah. going from house to house and supporting those children that need it. Yeah, it was terrible because as soon as, I mean, listen, as soon as, you know, the uh, the pandemic hit and, the, and the, the, the catastrophe started to unravel, there was so much focus on um, vulnerable adults. But If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Um, you know, I had people calling me all hours of the day saying, oh, my social worker, I've been trying to call her, phone's off the line, or it's an automated answer machine saying there's no one in the office. They were just absolutely abandoned and forgotten about, and it, it really is inhumane. I was going around these houses where these people were so scared and frightened because they didn't have access to media channels like we do. Some of them didn't even have laptops. They were just left. And they were so scared because as far as a lot of these young people knew that, you know, the world was coming to an end and it was that mindset for them. And we just totally forgot about them. And it's, it's, it's embarrassing how we dealt with that situation for young people in the care sector. And, you know, there's, there's, there needs to be some answers in the future for why that happened and why so many young people throughout that period of time was abandoned. There's still now so many young people who are missing and nobody's even, you know, you've never even seen that on the news. You've never even read that in a newspaper. So that's why it's so important to write books about this. So the general public know just how fragmented the care sector is and how vulnerable these young people are. So what now happens, Chris? We're coming out of a pandemic. You've got yeah. all these vulnerable children, more so than ever before. Children's mental health has skyrocketed. There is a massive backlog on the NHS. Those children can't afford private therapy how do you even start this now it's a really good question johnny it's really difficult i mean i'm just very lucky to be working with the government at the moment on the care review because it gives me the opportunity now to say look now i'm part of this government organization this is the first thing i want to tackle and that's what i'll be looking at over the next 12 months on the care review with josh McAllister is to say how are we going to support these young people now let's let's forget about the pandemic you know we're coming to the end of it now let's start fixing the damage what's been caused and the damage what's already been set in Asian people. I don't know what it looks like. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic, but there is some pessimism in there because when it comes to, to young people in the care sector and kind of mental health support, it's all about money and resources and we just don't have that. This is the problem though. It's resources and we know over the past year resources have been moved about. For example, at the beginning it was all focused on the PPE and then the Nightingale Hospital. Yeah. The care system was never going to be able to also receive that funding that was so desperately needed because it was put to the back of the queue. How yeah. do we make it part of the public com uh, and normalised conversation that there is a problem in the care system? It's, it's 
a, again, a really valid point, Johnny. And the, and the only way to do that is to keep talking about it, to keep, you know, writing books about it. People like yourself, journalists like yourself, just keep, you know, inviting people like me on. You know, and keep making sure that there is a unity amongst charities who deal with this thing as well. That's something I've been looking at, is forming a national unity. So every single charity while we work with young people come together and we start to put this on the map again. And we want to get central government's attention and whatever that takes, we'll have to do. And then what about just in the normal world of mainstream TV, for example, we always see little dramas about the care system or we'll see someone in care. So, for example, at the moment, I'm rewatching Waterloo Road and there's a couple of characters who have come from the care system in the show. Yeah. Those storylines are never as realistic as what you've put in your book, The State of It. They're not as realistic into the wider yeah. world. How do no. we change as well that conversation to be saying this is what the care system is like and not what you're seeing on TV in these dramas at the moment which are supposed to be representing them? Yeah, it's really difficult. You know, I'll give them an example like The Fall. It was great. I remember watching The Fall and getting to the end and then finding out that, you know, this, this, this rapist, this murderer was fostered was in a children's home. And that's, you know, you see, that's where the dichotomy falls with this, where you've got one... You've got one section of media uh, perception which puts young people in the care sector as murderers and rapists. Then you've got ones what sugarcoat it, like, you know, it's really, it's really good and there's this fact of rainbows and capricorns, and it really isn't like that. I think we've got to be scrupulously honest about it. If it's going to be on TV, we've got to show those really complexities, those harsh realities, and that's the only way that the public will start to kind of listen and look at it. And, and even, again, going back to central government, putting a lot of focus on central government because they've got to be the ones who can, you know, take the, the right boxes, give the resources uh, and, you know, look after young people. It's about that reality, you know. And, it's, and that's the thing as well, Johnny, is, you know, I had mental health 30 years ago. Nobody would talk about it. Everybody would be like, you know, the pink elephant, we don't want to talk about that. And it's the same with this kind of thing. We've got to talk about it. We've got to start a national campaign. We've got to make it just the norm, just to, you know, for us all to be kind of somehow educated on this. But the problem is, is that the demand isn't there to be educated and we need to change that. No. I mean, I've always read the books by Kathy Glass and Casey Foster, who are yeah. foster carers who talk about a specific person each time. And those are, as you said, amazing books. Then obviously your mm. book, Damage, looks at the reality. And you'll get some people who bring out books that effectively are a memoir of what happened to them in the past. Yeah. But that's a very personal one person story, not a community. Yeah, it, it's right. And but I mean, what is happening now, which there is a bit of a revolution happening at the moment, where we are seeing more of a unity amongst the communities and amongst the charities. Give you an example, like the Children's Society. Uh, you know, I'm in talks with them who are going to merge with Become and stuff like. It's just getting everybody kind of on the same page, and that's that's a, a way how we deal with it. That's the way how we try and focus on, you know. Uh, fixing those foundations and rebuilding the care sector and giving it an overall completely. So where are you now in the care system? Because you've obviously released some books, you've been through it on yep. both sides. Are you still trying to make up for what you didn't have at the time? As you said, mental health wasn't spoken about even 10 years ago. The care system wasn't spoken about 10 years ago. So are you trying to make up for what you didn't have at the time? Or have you got a clear focus and an agenda of where you want it to be in five years' time with those conversations? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely kind of focused on, on the future now. And that's, you know, that's what this second book was all about. It, you know, I didn't want to make it as dark as damaged. I wanted, to, I wanted to kind of give it some light. You know, some of them stories are inspirational because some of these young people have got formidable resilience. And that's what my focus is now in the next five years is 
is having a care sector we can be we can be proud of like the NHS and stuff like that and it's just making sure that you know it's it's always in 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 the public eye and the only way I can do that is is to talk about it and you know my work with the government is um is just, and it's just being honest and transparent and being real about what's going on and that you do so, so well, Chris. Thank so, you. so well. Yeah, thank but you. you do that, but not a lot of people do. A lot of people shy yeah. away and hide it. And you've got those people who will speak overtly about it and those people who will just keep it a secret. Yeah, and that's the thing. And that, and that is the problem when we're doing this kind of work. You know, now everybody's got mental health issues. Everybody's kind of comfortable to talk about it. Why is that? You know, why are people now comfortable? Um, and we've got to look at why that is and, 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 and then take it into schools and stuff. I'll give an example as well. When I go around, you know, speaking in schools, there's nothing on the walls uh, in regards to young people from the care sector or these kinds of mental health issues. And after I've done a speech, I always get three or four young people coming up to me afterwards saying, hey, Chris, that's really inspired me and motivated me to talk about my problems. I'm a care home kid. And now I see what you're doing. I want to do the same. And that's difficult, especially when you're a one-man band going around doing that. But hopefully it'll be, um, you know, people will catch on to it and, you know, I'll inspire more people and more people to come forward. And that's what it is. It's going to be an arduous journey. It's going to take a long time, Johnny, but I do believe we'll get there. And that's the other thing, I think, and something that is quite interesting is that a lot of people, especially when the conversation about mental health, will kind of wear it as a badge of honour. Or everyone will say, I'm... I've got uh, depression, I've got anxiety without it being clinical. Whereas in the mm. care system, all we want is people just to come forward and say, I've been in care and that's absolutely okay. No one needs to wear it as a badge of honour. No one needs to yeah. proclaim it and make everyone feel for them or anything like that. It's just being honest with your arrangements. And to be honest, all it is, is a housing arrangement. It's where you're living. Yeah. And usually yeah. it's because you haven't been fortunate to have two parents in a, uh, in a functional family that's fit for purpose for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've just hit the nail on the head, and that's what it's about. And it's, um, you know, it's just eradicating that stigma as well, going back on what I said previously, that, you know, so many people don't talk about stigma. And, you know, they're scared that they'll be, they'll be bullied, or they'll, you know, people have this personal perception of what they're like. You know, that's something we've got to focus on and trying to eradicate. Um, you know, I, I meet so many amazing young people, and like you said, some of these young people are just so unfortunate. You know, it's not their fault, but they... They were born into this kind of life and it's not their fault, but we, you know, they've been abandoned by the government and we've got to somehow inspire that and inspire people around them to look at the care sector as a good opportunity. And when I think about how it could look, I have this image in my head. It's going to be something like, you know, Hogwarts where, you know, your people who come into the care sector, they come into a special surrounding special organization where they get the best support they get the best education that's what i can envisage a care sector looking like but hindsight's a wonderful thing isn't it oh of course it is my friend of course it is my friend final words from you chris a while yes where are you at in life now in your next chapter we said two years ago that you were going to be in a new chapter you called it serendipity two years on post-pandemic how are you looking at the world right now my friend I'm looking at the world with eyes full of joy and optimism. I'm in a really good place because my work has been positive, my life is positive, and I have a positive outlook on everything I do now, Johnny, to be honest. You know, I've got a great support system in place. I've got a new baby on the way in a, in a few weeks. And I'm just so, I'm just so kind of uh, 
motivated to, to make that change. And I think a lot of that's got to do with coming to terms with my own personal trauma as well. As the years get years by and I get older and older and wiser, I find myself being a better human being. That's why I'm focused. And also, you're not just working in the care system. No. You also like to do your own thing. You are a very good painter. And that Thank is you. also your way of catharsism as well, where you're allowed to let out your own aggression still. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something, um, you know, I'm very passionate about. It's something I'll do for the rest of my life is, you know, I go into my shed, I lock myself in my shed and I paint and I paint about my own personal traumas. I've got a contorted kind of painting style, but it works. And it's the way I tell my story in a, in a very kind of uh, creative way. And they're beautiful paintings, absolutely beautiful. Thank and you. also, they, you know, we've got amazing artists out there like Lincoln Townley who support you and who endorse you. So, you know, Chris, your book, The State of It, is out now. The story's from the front line of a broken care system. For those that haven't heard of it yet or seen it, why do they need to buy it? Because it's not just a book. It's a book about healing. It's a book about trauma. It's a book about looking at your own life and, and being appreciative of everything you've got. It'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry, it'll make you angry, but most of all, it'll just make you live the best life you can live. And that's why it's important. To live the best life you can live. Chris is such a great example of that. If you haven't heard episode three of Skidding Scud, please go back and listen to Chris's journey. Listen to his journey of how he went from someone losing his dad, aged 11, by being abused, by being in the care system, by facing this person who he had to call the beast, who used to abuse him in the care home he was in, to where he is now. It's such an incredible journey he's been on and he is living the best life. And that's all what we all want to do. We all want to live the best life and we should never, ever, ever compare ourselves to others. We should never, ever, ever think we're better than someone else. But we're all on our own journey. We're all on our own pathway. And that journey continues. It's going to continue because after this podcast, you're going to go onto Amazon, type in Chris Wilde, the state of it, buy his book. You'll then continue that journey because you'll go onto Apple iTunes. You'll go onto Security and Secure. You'll go all the way down. You'll leave a five-star rating and a review. We're coming up to episode 100, 100 stories that you've heard, 100 episodes of truth, 100 episodes of honesty. That's where we're getting to, but I need your support. I need your support because we still need to say it's okay to not be okay. So please do leave a five-star rating and a review and share it on your social media accounts. Tell me you've listened to the episode at Skilly and Skill Podcast is where you can find us on Instagram. At Johnny Seafoot is where you can find me. Please tell me if you've listened to the episodes. It's so, so important. You've been listening to Skilly and Skill with me, Johnny Seafoot. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.